the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses, or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Well, happy Monday morning out there, listeners. And this is not Bob France this morning. This is Rob Walgate filling in for Bob, and I'm honored to be here this morning. I was sitting at home, Andrew, and I received a text. It was about 7.30 this morning, helping the kids get ready for school, making, they wanted yogurt parfaits for breakfast loaded <laughs> with fruit, so we were doing that, and the phone buzzed, and I took a look, and uh I got a text from our good friend Bob and said, hey, I'm a bit under the weather. Actually, it said he's a lot more under the weather than that. said, can, can you help out and fill in? I, I, well, I have nothing prepared. I'm not ready. So, yeah, absolutely, I can help out and fill in. Why not? Uh, so we're going to have a little fun today. All right, good, good, good. I'm it, glad to see you in the studio today. Well, I'll tell you what, you can't be sad and upset about today when you look outside. And what a beautiful day. Uh, you know, Ohio, northeast Ohio has been blessed with some amazing weather over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Oh, absolutely. Global warming, climate change, whatever it is, bring it on. We will take all of it any <laughs> any time we can have those 70-degree days. We'll take them. I'd like to bottle one or two up, save them for maybe mid-January, February, bust it out. Oh, I uh, agree. Make it happen. One thing I did catch over the weekend, though, is uh, Cedar Point. Did you see that story regarding Cedar Point? The turnaways? The turnaways. Cedar Point. Now, I wasn't in line on the causeway. I was not in my car. I was not stuck in traffic circling. So my perspective and opinion is going to be a bit different than those that were. I understand that. But Cedar Point reached capacity on Saturday late afternoon. Yeah, and and I believe their official statement was asking them to like return next weekend. <laughs> or... Yeah, but I, I, I sat and thought, and I thought, how great of a thing is that, that we have something in Northeast Ohio that everybody wants to be at, everybody all over, because they interviewed folks that had driven from miles and miles away, and what a gem of a place. I know if you were sitting in line, you're not happy about what happened. I get that. I understand that. But there are people that travel from every part of the world 
to go to that amusement park. To and I know during uh, in October they do the Halloween, so that brings brings a crowd looking for that as well. Top Thrill Dragster and Millennium and those things are scary enough when I get on them. I don't need anything else running around, jumping up and down, scaring me. Um, but I thought that was that was an interesting story. And that's a great thing for the economy of the state of Ohio. Absolutely. We should be happy when you think about the revenue that's coming in because not only at Cedar Point, think of all the restaurants that are around there, think of all the hotels, the gas stations. There's so much money that is being spent on a weekend like that. So um, I was very appreciative for that 70-degree day on Saturday afternoon, and everyone was enjoying their time um, in the north. Well, that would be the northwest part of the state, so out there on that on that island. So it's good to be with all of you today. I want to interact with the listeners, answer any questions that you may have regarding the debate process, regarding the Electoral College. Those are a few things that we're going to dive into as the show uh, goes on today, I'm going to bring in actually my boss, Dave Zanotti, the CEO of the American Policy Roundtable and from the Public Square Radio Network. And he's going to join me later on the show. And we're going to have a lot of discussions about things going on. You know, as I, as I listen, and I'm a listener of the show as well. So when I'm not sitting in, uh, in this chair, in Bob's chair, I am a listener of the show. I listen every opportunity I get. And I'm always reminded of those words at the beginning of the show that come from President Reagan. And that reminded me of the debate that took place last week. And there was a commercial during the debate that was from Ron Reagan, his okay. son. And if you didn't see that, we won't get into it right now. I know that's something I want to talk about with Dave. But I don't think, well, I'm 100% sure it didn't have the same message that President Reagan was trying to articulate to all of us during his time, time in office. So we'll talk about the political process. We'll talk about what it looks like moving forward. We're going to talk about the debate schedule, how you qualify for the debate. We're going to talk about Tulsi Gabbard throwing some fire at Hillary Clinton. Um, well, actually, and, and when you look at it, Hillary Clinton started it. She, okay. she, she made some accusations. She said some things. And I think um, no one was kind of ready for Tulsi Gabbard to respond the way that she did. So that was something that came about. But let's talk about an Ohio story first. Let's let's talk about something that's going on in Ohio um, that's happening at the State House in Columbus. There's a lot of discussion, and that is on the issue of gambling. Now, okay. it, it's hard to imagine, but it was 10 years ago that Ohio, and 10 years ago, think about this, Ohioans authorized four casinos around the state of Ohio 10 years ago, wow. 2009. It, 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 it to me, it seems like a lifetime, and it also seems like three months ago. Um, <laughs> and for those of you who know us at the American Policy Roundtable and the work we do, we worked adamantly for years and years and years to hold off the gambling interest from taking a stronghold and, and having a grip in the state. Um, in essence, they legally, Dan Gilbert and company, legally bought a piece of the Ohio Constitution fair and square. That's how it happened. Their business plan is written into the Ohio Constitution, the location, what they are allowed to do, what they're not allowed to do. Um, since that time when Governor Kasich took the oath of office uh, in the governor's mansion, he did some things that we felt violated the Constitution, and we sued him. Uh, you can look up that lawsuit online. Walgate v. Kasich and uh, a number of others joined in the suit, and we sued him for violating the law. It made it all the way to the Ohio Supreme Court. But we said once the gambling interests got into the state of Ohio, 
they were in essence going to be able to control and dominate the state house. And they have passed many pieces of legislation that have been gambling friendly. Um, they were able to pass a joint resolution to allow the voters of the state of Ohio to even vote to move one of the locations just months after gambling was approved in 2009. So it was clear who was running the show, who had authority. And, and we see that happen in the work we do at Roundtable. We do work in all across the country. The Public Square radio programs heard on over 200 stations coast to coast. But that's a common theme. We see that that when you give the gambling interests an inch, they dive in and they do their best to take a mile. They want to dominate. They want it to be a monopoly. We talked earlier about Cedar Point, money coming to Northeast Ohio. That's money that comes in and is recycled. It doesn't work that way in the gambling industry. The gambling industry wants to keep it all in-house and do everything for themselves every way they can. Look at the business model. If someone's going to Cedar Point, if someone's going to Kings Island, if someone's going to Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, all those places and spending a few dollars and helping the economy and propping it up, everyone says it's a wonderful thing. From a gambling perspective, you could go in and lose tens of thousands of dollars and you're going to do it in one location. And when you lose that money, that's money you're not spending on a car or furniture or appliances or a new home, so many things, it it can turn into an addiction unlike any other. So, of course, what do some Ohio lawmakers want to do? They want to expand the opportunity for folks across the state to lose money the way that it's been done in other states, and that's through sports gambling. That's the discussion. Now, we should know through the history of gambling when we study the economics of it, and again, this is strictly a numbers and an economic argument, but take a look at the economics and the numbers of the Ohio lottery. When you look at who spends the most money per capita on the Ohio lottery, when you look at where the most dollars are spent, that money is spent in the poorest zip codes around the state. That's who's playing the lottery. That's who's gambling. Because the government has sent out this false message that that's the only way to get out of the situation that you're currently in is to go off that pipe dream that you have an opportunity of one in hundreds of millions to win a jackpot that's truly going to change your life. That's the message we want being sent. So what are we going to do? Well, I wouldn't be for opening up additional opportunities to lose money, but that's what some in the Ohio State House want to do, and they want to do it through sports gambling. They want to do it by allowing it at casinos and racetracks and Um, fraternal organizations, and other things. However, the Inter-University Council, which consists of Ohio's 14 public universities, are opposed to this, or they are opposed to gambling on college athletics because they see the harm and the detriment to what could take place if this was allowed in our state when it comes to college athletes and when it comes to college athletics. Now, some of you may be screaming at the radio right now saying, Rob, there's gambling that takes place all over this state right now on college athletics, on professional athletics, on so many things. You're right. It does. There's also prostitution and heroin and so many other things I can tell you that take place that are illegal, but is your justification, though, because it takes place, we should therefore make it legal? Murder takes place as well. I don't hear anyone arguing that that should be legal. And let me give you a little something. 
for those of you that are screaming at your radio or maybe you've already turned it off, and if you have, you won't hear this, but those that are screaming the fact that it's already taking place, those people that are gambling in the illegal market, don't think for a minute you're going to capture their dollars. They're going to continue to gamble in the illegal market with the people they're already gambling with. The dollars you're going to capture are new dollars. Those may be dollars that are spent at Progressive Field. Those may be dollars that are spent at Playhouse Square. Those may are dollars that may be spent at Cedar Point. You can't lose your money more than one time when it comes to gambling. That's how gambling works. That's part of the process. So in Ohio, you're going to see legislation. Well, you have seen legislation that's been moved forward and being discussed um, in in committee, in the finance committee down there, regarding this issue. Now, Ohio State's against it. I am not. I, I can't believe I'll say this on the air. I can't believe I'm going to say this publicly on the airwaves, that I am not rah-rah Buckeye guy. That's not me. I'm not rah-rah Ohio State guy. That being said, when they win, everyone's happy. I'm happy when everyone else is happy. All is good. But that being said, Ohio State's against this. So you tell me something that's happened in the Ohio State House that Ohio State's been against yet has still passed. They have some power in this state. They do. Like it or not, they have power. They've come out against this legislation, when it comes to sports gambling, I don't see the benefit of it. Um, I know others don't see the benefit of it. And when we come back after the break, I am going to share with you a story, something that happened in Alabama during a college football game, and it has a sports gambling connection. And that will give you a glimpse of some of the things that can happen when this is introduced. You're listening to AM1420 the answer, the Bob France Authority. I'm Rob Walgate. WHKRadio.com is where to find the Bob France Authority podcast. Welcome back to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Rob Walgate sitting in on this beautiful Monday morning, and we're having a little discussion, discussion on gambling and some things taking place at the Ohio State House on pending legislation where some lawmakers want to pass a law that would allow sports gambling to take place in the casinos, the racetracks, and fraternal organizations. Um, and uh, Ohio State and the 13 other public universities across the state of Ohio are against this because they don't want to see college students wrapped up in it. They don't think that they should be, you should be able to wager on college athletics. And I had mentioned a story that took place regarding an Alabama student um, about nine days ago. LSU was playing Florida a few weekends ago. Maybe you saw this story. And there was a game going on, and uh, a 19-year-old Alabama student, his roommate, had wagered what they considered big money on the game. When you're a college student, it's all big money, but I think this was big money. Right, Andrew? I mean, big money. $20, $25. Listen, that's big. right now, <laughs> that's big money to me. Listen, um, 
but he, his, his roommate wagered some money on this game. And his roommate was in danger of losing this game. So this 19-year-old kid decided the easiest way to get out of this bet, I'm not sure this was the most rational thing to do, but was to call a bomb threat into Louisiana State's Tiger Stadium. LSU Florida are playing, and a kid decides to call in a bomb threat because of a bet that his roommate was losing. That's what took place. Now, obviously that was an irrational decision. Obviously that should not have happened. But if we make the decision as a state or our lawmakers make the decision in the state of Ohio to expand gambling, you are going to hear more stories such as that. There's no doubt about it. It has to happen. Anytime you expand something of that nature, those are the consequences. Now, if you're going to say the justification is, think of the tens of millions or whatever we are going to receive in tax revenue, that's your justification for being okay. Remember, it's not like it's going to be new revenue. There's not people that are going to drive and cross state lines to wager in the state of Ohio. You're not going to capture the illegal money that's already being wagered. It's a straight economic argument. Look around the country at places this has already happened and been done. If you want to change my mind or you think I'm wrong, I'm happy to be told that. 216-901-0945. Let me know your thoughts on this piece of legislation. Let me know what you think about it. I'm going to tell you right now, we mentioned the casino legislation that was passed in 2009 that allowed casinos in four locations in the state of Ohio. They've been up and running. And when you read that constitutional amendment, which I may add is probably, uh, let me think of a way I can say this politely on the air, the biggest piece of garbage in the Ohio Constitution, without a doubt, they wrote it so poorly and so misunderstood that we depend on other states to set our laws, that sports wagering is legal right now in those four casinos. Legally, it's allowed. Read the, read, read the Ohio Constitution and what it says and how there's a trigger in there that allows um, table and, and slot machine gaming based upon what neighboring states do. Well, that's already illegal in West Virginia and Pennsylvania, sports wagering is. Now you'll say, well, Rob, those aren't slot machine games or table games. Right, right, they're not. But I want you to look at how slot machine is defined in the Ohio Constitution. It's basically defined as a computer. That's how it was defined. Now, words don't mean what they think, what we think they mean. Words don't mean what we think they mean when it comes to law. Words mean what the law says, what the language says. Words matter, especially when it comes to the Ohio Constitution. Because the only way to change that is by a vote of the people. That's the only way that law is being changed. Now, I say it's legal right now. Sports gambling can happen in those four locations, but there are some deals that are trying to take place behind closed doors and out in front of closed doors in committee hearings and other places to allow sports gambling to take place in other places. Will it be on our phones? Will it only be in brick-and-mortar locations? How will it be? What will be said? I'm not sure. Do you do you have a thought on this? Do you have an opinion on this? Do you even know this legislation was pending at the Ohio State House? Give us a call, 
888-900-0945. We look forward to hearing from you on AM 1420, The Answer. This is the Bob France Authority. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer, Rob Walgate, sitting in for Bob on this Monday morning. Thanks for joining us, getting your week started on the right way. We are we're talking gambling, gambling in the state of Ohio. There's so many people out there that think that would uh, mean more money, that would mean increased tax revenue. And I, I challenge you to look around the country. Look at all the other states that have done it and especially used it as a justification uh, to raise more money and, and what that's meant for them and how it hasn't worked. Other sources of revenue have dropped. You see people um, <laughs> making decisions with their money that you would have never dreamed. Again, let's just look. Let's look in our own state as a model, the Ohio lottery. Look at that model and what, it has done. Now, some would argue it's given billions to education. Well, we justify giving billions to education by, in essence, um, stealing it uh, from the people that can least afford it. And I say it again to remind you, I say it that way because when you run the numbers, the most money spent per capita on the Ohio lottery is spent in the poorest zip codes around the state of Ohio. We're not helping those folks. That's not the way to help them is to by give people an opportunity to lose more money. We're going to go to the phone lines. Mary Grace is in Old Brooklyn. Mary Grace, welcome to the show. Welcome. God bless you. It's nice to hear from the round table. I used to call them every day when they were in Parma. Well, thank, um, thank you for your support. Much appreciated. What's your question this morning? Well, I want to say one thing. It is written. A fool and his money is soon parted. And I know we have no fools here, not in Cuyahoga County. So God bless us all. You understand? Yes. But who I, wrote that? Who wrote it? I, un- I understand. I, I, I want to know. I, I understand. Well, I know you know who wrote it, right? No, I'm going to find out, though. <laughs> I will find out. I already have the Constitution coming to me, well, and I know Article 4.4 says no invasion, so God bless us all. Amen. I know you had a question regarding the Constitution of the State of Ohio, correct? Yes. Well, I can get it. I'll call the library. And I'll no. Well, it, call, log online. Go to aproundtable.org. AP Roundtable. I'm not that tech person. <laughs> I'm just not. I won't. And I got rid of my spectrum because when people are talking off a teleprompter and can't even speak well, God help us all. And they're not telling the truth. I just got rid of it. Well, if you, if you, if you, if you call us at the round table, call us at 1-800-522-8683. We will send send you a copy of the constitution. Okay. I appreciate you. So that no problem. Thank you. And when, and, and we appreciate the call when it comes to the constitution, um, in the state of Ohio, uh, we are blessed in the state of Ohio because we have the opportunity to amend the Constitution. Some states don't have that luxury. They don't have the ability 
to change the language of their state constitution. They're dependent on lawmakers to do that. And we're not in the state of Ohio. And that's why we have the casino amendment that we have. That's why we have some other bad language in there. But I would not want to change that. I I think that's something that um, we should appreciate. We should be thankful for the ability to go in and change things on our own. It's hard work. You're going to have to get signatures in half of the over half of the 88 counties. You're going to have to get a few hundred thousand signatures, and that number fluctuates depending on the amount of votes in the last gubernatorial election. So th- there's work involved. It costs some money, but it allows us as citizens to make changes in a positive way. Let's let's rewind the tape back to the early 90s. Uh, something that the roundtable, the organization I work for was involved in, and that was term limits. That set the the limit that people could serve in elected office. When you look at statewide office holders, they are only permitted to serve two consecutive four-year terms. So whether we're talking about the attorney general or the governor, uh, the auditor, things of that nature, the statewide elected office holders, they can serve two uh, consecutive four-year terms. When it comes to members um of the legislature, they have the ability to serve eight consecutive years in each chamber, um, respectively. So you're looking at four consecutive two-year terms in the House or two consecutive four-year terms in the Ohio Senate. Now, once you do that, there is not the quote-unquote death sentence um that doesn't allow you to serve anymore. There have been plenty of people that have been that have bounced back and forth in the Ohio State House and served in one capacity or another, and the people have elected them. And some would argue uh, that the thing we hear most often in Columbus when it comes to term limits, it always amazes me. I always say the only people that want to get rid of term limits are the people that operate inside of 270 down in Columbus, inside uh <laughs> that limit they're the ones who who talk about term limits harming the state we're talking about 99 state reps and 33 state senators we're talking about a population of roughly 11 million people in the state of ohio you're telling me that every eight years we can't find 132 qualified individuals to run this state is that what you're saying you're saying there's only 132 people qualified to run the state of Ohio and they should be able to serve uh as long as as long as they want forever and ever and ever amen is is that the thought we hear this argument talked about when I'm down there because I tell you lawmakers pull me aside uh others pull me aside and and they get fed up and angry because they don't like term limits and they they talk about institutional knowledge institutional knowledge we need more institutional knowledge. Really? Yes, Rob, we're losing institutional knowledge in the state of Ohio because we have term limits. Well, Congress doesn't have term limits, so we have institutional knowledge there. How's that working out for us? You think we need more institutional knowledge there? The other thing is is, is look at the way that both parties play the game. A few years ago, the Republicans in the state of Ohio had the opportunity to make Ron Amstutz the Speaker of the House. He could have been made the Speaker of the House. He had served for years and years and years, well over 25 years, in the legislature, bouncing back from the House and the Senate. was probably the smartest guy in the building 
when it comes to the state budget that they pass every two years in the state of Ohio. He had more institutional knowledge than anybody. Guess what? The Republicans did not make him the Speaker of the House. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Republicans want institutional knowledge to be kept there. That's why they want to get rid of term limits. Well, that's what they say. But yet when they had the opportunity to make the smartest guy in the room the Speaker of the House, they didn't do it. Why is that? Ah, because they play the game. Both sides of the aisle, they play the game. And that's what happened. Uh, in the early 90s, when term limits were passed, uh, we also passed in the state of Ohio the opportunity for congressional representatives, members of the U.S. House, to be limited in their terms as well. However, the court struck that down. And they said that the voters did not have the authority to do that in the Constitution. That's what the court said. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think it's a pretty strong limb, but I'm going to go out on that limb. And I'm going to say if, if a state took that up again and ran that up, the judicial process, and made it all the way to the United States Supreme Court today, I'm saying I'm not sure the decision would be made to say voters and people of a state do not have the ability to limit representation of their elected officials when it comes to the U.S. House. I think it would be a more friendly decision from the court. I think I think the court would, at least I hope it would be, I think the, I, I hope the court would look at it from a perspective of saying, hmm, the people want this. The people have said this. We shouldn't limit what the people want because when it comes to the Declaration of the Constitution, I, I, I mean, think about it. How's it start? We the people. We the people hold these truths to be self-evident. That's how it starts. It's in our hands. And that's why we are fortunate when it does come to the state of Ohio that we have the ability to edit and have a say when it comes to our state constitution. And, and that wouldn't be something I would mind seeing again. Um, I, I, I think maybe it would be beneficial for the entire country if we saw some limits on those people on what they were allowed to do and what was able to take place uh, inside the Beltway in Washington, D.C. When we get back after the break, we're going to we're going to we're going to take a little turn and we're going to turn and take a look at the democratic debates. We're going to take a look at the process when it comes to choosing a nominee and the strategy that the Democrats have in place for their 2020 selection. Does it make sense? Do they even understand how the electoral college works? If this is all a board game, why does it seem like they're just trying to run a marathon race instead of maneuver? I, I don't know, but we're going to dive into all of that after the break. You're listening to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Now heard through downtown, through Greater Cleveland on 102.5 FM. It's the Bob Fats Authority. Welcome back. 
to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer, Rob Walgate, sitting in for Bob on this Monday morning. And what a way to get the week started, uh, to get that text message from Bob that said, hey, I need a little help. What are you doing this morning? Oh, you know, not nothing. I Nothing. I'm looking forward to coming in, right? Uh, no, I'm honored that he would turn his Mike over to me. Um, again, I'm a listener of the program. I'm a fan of the show, the work that Bob does on this show. I'm always tuning in and catching his insight, his analysis, his guests, and uh, all of us at the roundtable in the public square and iVoters.com are just honored that he would allow us to be a small part of it and um, take part and turn his chair and his mic over to us to allow us to sit in. So we talked before the break. We kind of hinted a little bit um, regarding the Democrat process for selecting a nominee for the 2020 election. And this, Andrew, I'm going to tell you something. This has been amazing to me to watch. (laughs) And here's why is because I feel like, people don't understand or look at what has happened previous when it comes to selecting a nominee. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So let's rewind the tape back to 2015. On the Democrat side, um, we had Senator Clinton and Senator Sanders, right? Yep. And Merrill Miley for like this brief, brief little period of time. So, um, they had two, and they chose their nominee by battling it out. It was, in essence, 1v1. On the Republican side, and again, um, <laughs> this is from a historical perspective, um, how it looks and how it sounds, uh, there was 111 candidates on the Republican side in August of 2015. Maybe 112. I lost. I lost count. But that all started in Cleveland, not because of the convention. The convention was in Cleveland, but the first debate. Fox News held the first debate at at the time. It was a Q. Now Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Um, they held that first debate right there, and of all the candidates, and this is what I always uh, laugh and point out: of all the candidates that were on, they kind of had it was like Thanksgiving, though. Do you remember? The, t- the tables they had the adult table and the kitty table they did they they had they had the uh adult table and the kitty table and donald trump was up there and the, if you remember megan kelly asked the question regarding would you support the uh the nominee and and donald trump was the one he was the outlier he was the one that was wasn't going to guarantee that he would back the nominee but if you looked at all the candidates on that stage he was by far not even close, in my opinion, the most liberal candidate of all the Republican candidates. Was he not? Absolutely. Look at look at everybody else, and then look at Donald Trump's previous positions or previous statements, or even look at everything he's done now. And it kind of intrigues me, um, the fact that when it comes to Donald Trump, he drives the left so crazy on everything he says and does. Now, there's a rumor floating around. It's alleged that um, Donald Trump is going to start sending his tweets to Bob France for approval first to make sure that Bob will, <laughs> Bob's going to be his censor. Bob's going to going to approve whether or not the president can send those tweets or not. But So now it, it, that's how the Republicans did it. And I don't think the Democrats learned anything from the Republicans because all it seems they care about at this point is 
to make money when it comes to the debates for each entity to grab eyes for people watching because to to have the thought that this has helped them narrow down a candidate to win this chess match, to win this board game, is to me it's quite laughable, and here's why. They need to win the Electoral College. Now, when people say, can President Trump win in 2020? Well, I, I mean, yes and no. Can Cleveland Indians win their 31st game of the year next season? Well, most likely, yes, I would think, but we don't know who they're playing. We don't know the location. We don't know who's pitching. There are a lot of variables that we don't know. That's the same with the election in 2020. The problem with the Democrats, in my opinion, and maybe some of you will say, Rob, shut up, you're giving them advice, um, is the fact, that, and, and I say all this from a nonpartisan perspective, the work we do at the roundtable, the public square, iVoters.com, again, we do it from a nonpartisan perspective. We don't take sides. That's the reason um, that we have sued more Republican governors than Democrat governors throughout our history. But... When it comes to what's taking place, it's a board game. It's a board game. They have to win the Electoral College. And the way to win the Electoral College, when you do the math, is the Democrats are going to need to pick off a couple of states. And the easiest states for them to pick off are going to be Pennsylvania, Florida, Michigan, um, to hold Colorado, to turn Arizona, Places where the numbers can fit. Here's the problem. I don't think they understand that. I don't think they understand that's how the game works because their methodology seems to be to run to as far as the left as humanly possible and stay there. Well, that's wonderful and great if their goal is to win California and New York and New Jersey, but here's the deal. They're going to win California and New York no matter who runs. It's guaranteed they're basically going to win those two states when it comes to the Electoral College. So why isn't their strategy to say, okay, let's build something to where we have a candidate that has a shot in one of those states that everyone labels a swing state? Hmm? They're not doing that. They're not even close to doing that. Elizabeth Warren, someone argue right now Elizabeth Warren's the front runner, No. It, one of her ideas or one of her thoughts or mantras or whatever you want to call it <laughs> talks about the elimination of fracking. How is she going to win in Pennsylvania or Ohio or Colorado if you're going to talk about taking away the livelihood of tens of thousands of people or more in each of those respective states where that takes place? How, how, do, how does that work? And Here's the other question. Why why wasn't that asked on the debate stage the other night? Why didn't anyone say, hey, here's a question. How are you going to win one of those states that you need to win to win the presidency? No one seems to ask that question. I, I'm convinced. I'm not even sure they understand that they need to win one of those states. But if they do the math, they do. Now. One of the things you hear them scream about is the national popular vote. But we can win the national popular vote. Um, yes, they can win the national popular vote. But the problem is it doesn't win the presidency for them. Do you think that this is all just a ploy to maybe get rid of the Electoral College? Oh, they would love to the, get rid of the Electoral or College. Or for more of a push like what they tried to do in, I believe it was 2016. Yeah. Well, they would love to get rid of the Electoral College. But number one, constitutionally, they have zero chance to do that. 
Zero chance constitutionally do that. So the way they're trying to do it is an end run around the Constitution. What they're trying to do is to get enough state legislatures to pass laws, and they have 20-some-odd states that have already done this. They've passed laws. They want to get enough states where if you add up those states' electoral college votes, it equals the 270 that's needed to win. So they're trying to get state legislatures to pass laws that say, regardless who our state voted for, our state's electors will support the national popular vote winner. That's what they're doing. They've passed laws in states all around the country. This charge is being led by Eric Holder and others. They're saying what we want to do is pass those laws so then the Electoral College doesn't matter in essence because the national popular vote winner would take it all. That's their goal. It's going to be a challenge, a big challenge for them to get to 270 because you're going to have states like Ohio and Florida and Pennsylvania and Michigan and places where people are going to sit down rationally and think and say, wait a minute, you are telling us you want the electors in our state to not support the candidate that our state supports, but rather the candidate that the people in California, in New York, and the other major metropolitan areas support? Yeah, I don't agree with all for one, that or one for all. That That's well, that's dangerous. I don't think they've read the founders, and I know they haven't read the Constitution. And I know that we were warned by the founders of the fire that a direct democracy could be. We live in a constitutional republic regardless what people say on television from both parties when they call it a democracy. So when it comes to those democratic debates, when it comes to the questions that are being asked, I don't see them. I don't see the moderators understanding the process as well. They don't realize what needs to happen to win. The other thing, and we will get into this, um, after the break is when it comes to Senate races, there are so many key Senate races around the country that I'm not sure some of these Senate candidates are going to want to stand with the nominee from their own party. This is going to be a wild and crazy 13 months. And all of you have a front row seat to watch it. You're listening to AM 1420. <laughs> the answer will be back after the break. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com